angels and demons, mythology and religion, heroes and monsters. These are the stories we create, the beings we fear and yet long to be. My name is Raven Burns Kushner, Wiccan artist and life coach. On this channel, I analyze our stories, gleaning the spiritual principles that help us live more successfully. I explore the darkness and the light, as both are important. And don't be afraid, unless of course that excites you. <laughs> All right, hello and welcome. All right, well today I'm going to be talking about the movie Candyman, the 2021 version. Apparently there is a 1992 version that I actually didn't know about, and there's a part two and a part three. And the story was also based on the short story called The Forbidden by a Clive Barker. So I'm not sure if I'm going to watch all of those. In addition, um, I'm just going to be covering for now the 2021 version. Before I get into all that, I want to just forewarn you, I'm filming this on Memorial Day. I can't guarantee that it'll be quiet. So <laughs> all I can do is do the best that I can. Apartment living, that's how it goes. So if there's any noise, I ask for your forgiveness in advance. Um, also, I wanted to show the latest painting that I finished. Um, it is inspired by the concept of the succubus, which is kind of a fantastical being or a demonic being even that is the narrative is that it comes to you when you're sleeping and seduces you to the dark side or seduces you period. <laughs> um, and that's the female version. There's also a male version called the incubus. So those are the last two paintings in a series that I was creating based on vampires and stuff, stuff like that. I'm moving in a new direction, which I'm really excited about. I really want to learn creature design and monster design, and I'm taking a horror writing class over the next month. So I may not have paintings to show that are going to be for sale on the website because I'm really going to be in a learning phase for, I'm not sure how long, at least the month to finish the horror class but I really want to focus on learning that skill because I've really never done that before, like created monsters out of my imagination. So that's a different skill than what I've been doing, which is more portraiture and stuff like that. So if you're interested in all in following that journey, um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to post here, but I'm going to post everything on Instagram. So I'll put the link to that on the screen and in the description. So if you want to follow along my monster journey, then I'd appreciate that. That's a lot of fun. Also, I wanted to say that I really appreciate everybody who, who watches these videos. You know, it's challenging to start a new channel. I did it because I really felt led to do it. I don't have an overarching agenda. I'm not doing it for money or anything like that. I really just felt like I wanted a place where I could discuss movies and discuss horror movies in particular from an intellectual standpoint. And I figure, you know, if, if I'm interested in that, there must be some people who are interested in that. It started off with Interview with a Vampire, which I can't wait to come back. <laughs> I'm reading Queen of the Damned right now and I really like it, so I'll cover that when I'm done. 
But anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. If you're watching this, I really do appreciate you, each and every one of you. And all right, let's get into it. All right, Candyman. So I gave a little bit of the background of Candyman. I did like the movie, so I'll try not to spoil it too bad. There's actually not much to spoil because even though it was very entertaining, it, it wasn't... It wasn't um, unexpected, so I don't feel like anything happened that was unexpected. So it's one of those movies that you can't really spoil it, but I'll say as little as I can because I do want you to see this one. I thought um, the inclusion of the social justice aspect of it was really interesting, and I'll have to look at the other versions of Candyman to see if they did it to the same extent. This one was co-written by Jordan Peele. So it was written and directed by Nia DaCosta and it was co-written by Jordan Peele and someone named Owen Rosenfeld. So I love movies that are written directed by the same people and I really trust Jordan Peele. I think he has a really unique vision and I tend to like what he produces. So um, this didn't disappoint, but again, it, it wasn't, it, it went just shy to me of really pushing the envelope. I think it stayed fairly literal and fairly predictable. So that's um, kind of the only downside. But overall, it was really entertaining. The story is about an artist named Anthony. Anthony is going through like a writer's or an artist block, like he's not painting. He has a show coming up and he's barely gotten anything done. And what he has gotten done is basically like totally derivative of his previous work, you know, nothing new, nothing exciting. So his wife is a gallerist and it's implied that that's kind of how he got into the gallery to be able to do the show is through his wife. And so the gallery owner is not really happy with him and he's kind of like doing this as a favor to his wife. And he's really feeling the pressure that he's got to produce and he's got to start bringing some income into the family because it's pretty much implied that his wife is, is the breadwinner in the family. So uh, the inciting incident, if you will, is when the wife's brother and the brother's boyfriend come over and they're all just kind of hanging out and the brother, Troy, tells this ghost story. And it's basically related to the Candyman story. So the wife is horrified. She doesn't want to hear any of this. But the husband is kind of intrigued. You know, Anthony is kind of intrigued. And he thinks that maybe this will help him get inspired you know, for his new body of work. So he goes and researches the, the myth of Candyman. And the reason why any of this came up is because um, Brianna, who's the wife, and Anthony, the artist, have moved into this area that's undergone gentrification. And Troy, who's apparently a real estate, that's the brother, he was kind of in, you know, uh, offended that they didn't use him as a real estate agent. So he's kind of telling them this story like, oh, you're moving to a place that's haunted anyway. It's haunted by all of these, you know, these, these tales of Candyman and things like that. So in any case, uh, Anthony goes and researches the neighborhood to find out what are these myths about Candyman and like is that something that might inspire his work. So he meets the grown version of the child that we see in the opening scene who survives a horrific incident. So now that little boy is an adult and that's who Anthony encounters when he goes and researches this gentrified neighborhood. So William is the, the guy who is the adult now 
he tells him the whole story of Candyman and he's really intrigued. So that kind of starts the ball rolling to where Anthony grows more and more seduced by this story. So that's all I can say without spoiling it too much um, is that physically, emotionally, psychologically, he really becomes completely seduced by the story of Candyman and it does inform his work but it starts this tremendous ball rolling in his life where he kind of meets his overall destiny as as a black man right so pros about the movie I really liked it as I said the pacing was really good and I love that it was tight and that tends to be you know, what happens when you have a writer and the director kind of the same person, it tends to be tighter. So the pacing was good, the sound effects were really good. They had this recurring theme of bees and the sound effects on those were really great. They really did this um, cool thing with using kind of cut out, like paper cut out silhouetted in the beginning as part of the movie and also in the beginning and end as part of the credits, which I thought was really creative. Um, it really reminded me of the artist Kara Walker's work, and I don't know if that was intentional, like relating back to her, or if she was also borrowing from maybe some other reference that I don't know about. But Kara Walker is a black female artist that does um, very disturbing work about like um, black oppression, um, the horror, like the detailed horrors of, of white supremacy, the rapes, the pedophilia, the, the lynchings, the, I mean, the, everything horrible you can think about, like she covers in her artwork through these like black silhouetted cutout like paper dolls. And she does it on this massive scale. And she also does other works as well, but that's kind of what she's known for. Um, so that was really interesting. The story of the bees. So I was curious as to as to why that was there at first, but it was explained later as part of the myth of the Candyman. And I really thought that that was well done as well, because when you think about it, like there's a very literal um, callback to the story of the original Candyman, and that's why the bees were there. But when you go beyond just the literal, like bees were involved in the horrific incident against this black man, according to the myth, um, bees also symbolize, you know, a lot more than that. Because when you think of how bees operate, when you think about the term hive mind, it's like a group of, pe a group of people operating under kind of the same kind of consciousness. And that's how bees operate. Like they're wordlessly communicate with one another and they operate together. They operate as a swarm. And when you think about the villain in this movie, it's so much different than a normal horror movie where there's maybe one primary bad guy, there's one monster, or there's one, you know, psycho, or there's one whatever who's the perpetrator. Whereas this is talking about something different, like the villain being an entire mindset, not a particular person. And we think about bees, how they operate as a swarm and not just individual. And their strength is that they operate together. Another aspect of bees is that they will defend themselves, you know, um, at any cost, but the cost is their life. Like they will sting you, but they also die, you know? And so that's very poignant in terms of what happens in the movie. So that was really clever and it was really well done. Um, 
I thought another thing that was really cool about bees as a metaphor is there's one point when William, the, the grown uh, version that Anthony meets in the old gentrified neighborhood, William is telling him about the old story and he's telling the story of this original black man who was abused by this white mob and that man was an artist who fell in love with a white woman and obviously that wasn't going to work out and so this mob you know destroyed him horrifically and William says something to the effect of talking about that man his name was Robitaille talking about Robitaille's skills as an artist, which has put him in the position to fall in love with this white lady. And, and it was a mutual mutual relationship, but, and she got pregnant. And so the father had him killed. But what he said was, they love what we make, but they don't love us. And I thought that was really poignant because we can see that this is referring not only to that original incident where yes, they liked his portrait art, so they had him in their home, but obviously they didn't love him as a human being. But when you think about entertainers and athletes and things like that, they are loved for their performance, but you see how quickly the, the general public turns on them when anything goes wrong. Um, you know, there's numerous examples that I won't even get into that I don't want to stir the pot more than I already have, more than I'm used to doing. But you, you can just see when you think of like top black athletes and performers and stuff, how they, they, they're loved, but they're not loved for who they are. They're loved for what they produce. And the minute anything goes wrong, it completely reverses and they become like these demon figures. So the movie is talking about how this mindset continues on to this very day. And when you think about bees, I mean, it's the same thing. We love the honey, but do we love bees, you know? And so really, really good metaphor. I love that, that it was, it was intellectual on that level. It's not perfect. There were some cons. <laughs> um, I really liked the art in the movie. I liked that the main character was an artist. I like that you know the wife was a gallerist and that her father was an artist who also had a tragic incident in his life which ties back to her husband's current situation. I thought that was really well done. But I really felt like they stopped short with the art. I thought that they were kind of on to something that would have transcended race in a sense, but I feel like they pulled back because there's a point in the movie where this critic, who's this nasty, rude figure, she's kind of poo-pooing Anthony's work and saying, and he's talking about what the work is about and about gentrification and this and that, and he's really proud of it, but she's like, you know, looking down her nose at it and saying that it's nothing new and that, and that beyond that, artists are a part of that same thing that they come into these neighborhoods and they're part of the whole gentrification process. They are the ones that, that um, you know, raise all the rents and kick all the poor people out. And it's basically their fault you know, that, that he's talking about this gentrification problem, but he's part of the problem. And at the moment, this is happening at his show. So he doesn't, you know how you're caught off guard and so he doesn't say anything to her. Also, he's trying to impress her as an art critic so he doesn't really say anything to that, but he gets the opportunity later on to say something. 
saying that basically, no, it's not artists' fault. You know, artists do raise the the property value of a neighborhood, but it's not them that are the roots of this system. It's the 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 city, the the leaders of the city, and the developers. They're the ones that set up this whole system where, you know, the the uh, buildings are bought out cheap. You know, artists come because they don't have a lot of money, you know, but they're more like the middlemen. And then, yes, the original residents are pushed out, but they're pushed out by the city and by the developers. Don't blame the artists, right? And, but what I thought was could have gone further is that there is something to that idea that artists are, in a sense, feeding off of um, the misery of other people to some extent, especially like, and Kara Walker has been criticized for this, right? Because her, she's a very elite A-list artist, but she has, you know, risen through the ranks by making this artwork about black suffering. And a lot of black people don't like her work <laughs> because it's so horrific and it's so painful to, to look at. And she's mainly, mainly beloved by the white liberal artist establishment, you know? And when you think about like filmmakers, I mean, Jordan Peele, he's also, you know, he's bringing awareness to these issues, but he's also profiting off of them. And I don't say it as a criticism. You know, I, I love Kara Walker. I love Jordan Peele. I'm an artist, you know, of course I don't, you know, my art is not about suffering, <laughs> but still, it's like, I don't think that it's, I don't think we should be afraid to in, engage in the self-criticism. I think that there is something that can be a little cannibalistic about art and also predatory about art. And I don't think we should be ashamed or afraid to go there and really ask those questions. Like, are you kind of part of the problem? Are you, you know, using the stories of misery as fodder, you know, for your art, because that's initially what Anthony was looking for. He was just trying to get some paintings done, right? He wasn't really trying to explore anything beyond that. And it was really a poignant scene where, you know, when, when stuff starts happening, people start dying. And, you know, in relationship to the art show and the, the deaths that happened, they mention Anthony's name and the name of his piece, which is Say My Name. And I thought that was really cool that like he starts smiling, even though this is a news story about, you know, the, the deaths, he's smiling because his name was out there, right? So it's like really talking about or alluding to that kind of predatory nature of art where it's like even in the midst of tragedy, what he was excited about is his own name in the public eye and his work in the public eye. And I just think that they could have gone further with that. It was hinted at, but I feel like they, they just stopped it there. And, and you know, it's a time fact, you can't do everything, but I thought that was poignant enough that I wish that they had explored it further because that really goes beyond just the whole racial thing. I felt like they kept it in that realm where it really was very derivative. It was very like, this is about police brutality and, and the oppression of black people and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's more than that. It's also about revenge and like the, the concept of the bee, like you sting, but you also die in the process. So it, anyway, it's, it's a very good movie, I think. It's very well paced, it's entertaining. It, it doesn't go as far as it could, but I think that it went far enough that it's, that it's intelligent and it's also entertaining. Um, 
another con is the typical thing that you see with horror movies is people do things that don't make any sense. So I'm just going to complain right now about some things that didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense why when Anthony was undergoing the physical manifestations of his deepening obsession, why he doesn't go to the doctor. It starts off as a bee sting that gets, you know, incredibly ridiculously worse. And it's like, it, it didn't occur to him to like towards the end to go to the doctor. His wife doesn't say anything. It's like, he's falling apart. It's like, I, that made no sense whatsoever. There's also a chase scene where Brianna is running from William. He's, you know, um, for, for a reason that I won't say. And then she goes back into the building. She just ran out of that's inexplicable, except that they needed her to be where she ended up being. <laughs> so it also doesn't even make sense why she sought Anthony out at some point, because she's saying that she's going to leave him, but then she goes looking for him, which really didn't make any sense. It's like, if you're leaving, then leave. Why are you looking for him? <laughs> so anyway, those are pretty minor, but there's always something in horror movies that people do things that have no basis in common sense, but whatever. It was still a good movie. I still hope you see it. And again, I have to see if I, I, I have to at least see the 1992 version. I don't know about two and three because sequels, you know, can sometimes go off the rails completely, but I am really curious to see what 1992 version, you know, how it differs from 2021 version and in what ways. So I think I'm going to check that out. Um, again, I'm reading Queen of the Damned. I'm loving that. That It's going to take me a while to finish that, but that'll be one of my upcoming videos. So I do hope you enjoyed that discussion. I hope you'll follow me on Instagram and I hope you'll join me next week. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. So that's all I have for you today. I hope you did enjoy today's discussion. Visit paintselflove.com to book a coaching appointment or to buy some inspirational art. Until next time, love yourself and love yourself well. Blessed be.